Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I am going to teach you to look, feel, and perform like an athlete. I think this is one of those goals that's on a lot of people's mind. I kind of think of it like taking an average Joe into a savage athlete, and it, you don't have to be competitive or competing in any sport in order to strive for this. I know for me personally, when I think of my ideal physique, I do think of an athlete. I think of a football player or a really jacked, eh, usually just a football player, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I don't, I don't strive to look like a soccer player, even though I'm a soccer player. I don't strive to look like a basketball player because I'm 5'9", so that's just not going to happen. But, but I do strive to, to look like a football player. I, I do strive to look like a CrossFitter, um, a, 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 an elite level CrossFitter, right? Like I, I really, really push. And, and if you look at these people, they're not training in order to look a certain way. So we don't need to rely on bodybuilding or he, high amounts of volume in order to achieve this. So today I want to dive into just that. How do we achieve this athletic physique, whether we are a male or a female? Because if we look like a, a athletes, they have defined and strong glutes and hamstrings. They have defined and strong upper backs, which means their shoulder health is great. Their hip health is great. They, they move better because of it. They have less pain because of it. And typically, they look better. They look what the human eye is appealed to. If we look at Greek statues of these heroes in Greek mythology, what do they look like? They have huge backs. They have big hamstrings and glutes. They look powerful. They look successful. They look like this alpha Right, Whether, again, you're male or female, this is kind of what we strive for. But the best part about athletic training is that it's going to apply to how your brain operates. It's going to apply how your joints move. It's going to apply to your athleticism. It's going to apply to how, how you endure. Right? How long can you play with your kids? How long can you run laps? How long can you do anything? Right? How well can you go on a hike without being out of gas? If somebody wants to play pick up basketball, pick up soccer, pick up tennis, whatever, can you do it for a couple hours and not be miserable? Are you nervous to go do that? Or are you excited because you know you can handle it? Being an athlete is not about competing. Being an athlete is, is about achieving a, the highest level of performance across the board in your life. So today I want to, again, talk to you about going from average Joe to savage athlete because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who love fitness, who love nutrition, who love CrossFit, who love bodybuilding, who love training people because they're a trainer, who love coaching people because they're a nutritionist, whatever it may be. But a lot of you also might be average people. Shit, I'm an average dude, right? I've never been the elite on any team I've ever played for. I've never been the first pick at any game I've ever been a part of. I've never had genetic gifting that's going to take me to the next level with my physique. So for me, this is, this is like, this is me. This is what my brand is built off of. So I'm really excited about this podcast. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm going to teach you how to go from average Joe to savage athlete. Before we jump into it, I do want to mention our online coaching program. If you are stuck or if you are an average Joe who wants to look like a savage athlete, speaking of this podcast, 
I truly believe that coaching is the best route. The new year is coming up. You should not be waiting for the new year in order to accomplish your goal. You should be starting right now because that is the hardest part. But once you get started and you have proper guidance, you have proper periodization, you have proper systems, you have methods that are proven to work, safe and effective, you can get the results you want to get and you can go into the new year with a new athletic body. So if that's you, if you want some help, if you want to work with us, or if you want to chat with us completely free to see if it's even a good match, click the link in the description of this podcast. You can sign up for a free strategy call. Once that goes through, we'll reach out to you via text within 24 hours to set up a call with you, and we'll take it from there. So without any further ado, let me teach you how to go from average Joe to savage athlete. All right, so the first thing we need to consider when we talk about going from average Joe to savage athlete is what does that even mean? You know, what does what what capabilities does a savage athlete have? What features, what benefits are there to this? You know, what what should you look like? Well, how should you feel? Well, how should you move? So on and so forth. What are we after? Um, and there's six main components that we're going to be covering today that I think need to be dialed in in order to achieve this athletic look. I kind of like I go back and forth between these different names with my programming, and I and I often result to performance bodybuilding or um, athletic aesthetics. And, and both of those things are, are programs that I've already built. And I, I named them that because my goal for most people is not to just get them lean or just get them looking good, but I want them to feel good and I want them to live a long time. You know, we know for a fact that if you have strong uh, strong, if you have strength, if you have trained strength and you have trained your nervous system adequately, you're going to see some benefits that are going to lead to longevity from bone health and, and prevention of osteoporosis. You're going to see a uh, benefit from a, a muscle atrophy standpoint. So you're going to lose less muscle. Your nervous system is going to be more ready. So if you were to fall or have poor reaction time, uh, even, I mean, she had a car accident, falling downstairs, anything. As we age, our reaction time slows down and, and our nervous system is what dictates our reaction time. So if we train like an athlete and train explosively, we can actually improve that reaction time, not only for sport, but for life and for injury prevention, for longevity. We know that training this way uh, is going to prevent disease. Most strength training does. We know that fueling your body adequately is going to give you the best energy possible. So as an athlete, I'm not just focused on the diet to get lean, right? I'm not just focused on what can I do in order to eat so I lose fat. I'm focused on how can I perform at my highest level, which means I need to be sleeping well. I need to be stressing less. I need to be recovering faster. I need to be performing harder in my training. So I'm actually fueling my body. And, and if you uh, take this approach of fueling your body, not only will you get lean in the long run, but you'll feel way better and you'll have less of these metabolic adaptation consequences because of it. Now, if your goal is to get absolutely shredded, of course, you, you have cutting phases and you will see some metabolic adaptation. But if the majority of your time is spent fueling your body to just perform great, then you're not going to run into that issue at all, right? So there's, there's these different components, right? And these different components, I'm going to break them down right now and then I'm going to go into each one in depth. Um, the first one is your training, your strength training. What should that look like? Um, and and it's, that kind of goes into three of these categories, which is going to be conditioning, explosive work, power development, and strength, absolute strength, basic compound stuff. Then we're going to go into mobility and soft tissue work because that is the only way your joints and muscles are going to be able to last. And then we're going to add a little bit of bodybuilding accessory work to make sure that we are bringing up any lagging body parts, which we'll cover here in a sec too. Uh, so really five of them are, are somewhat training oriented. And the last one is diet. 
And the diet component is going to be more around this idea of G-flux. And, and instead of moving more, eating less to lose weight, we want to eat more, move more. So I actually want you to train harder and potentially more often in order to be able to eat more, fuel your body, and, and really ramp up your metabolism, uh, keep a healthy thyroid, improve your strength, improve your performance, improve your energy expenditure through NEAT, through sleep, through thermic effect food, and through your energy uh, output inside the gym, um, as well as just build muscle, right? Because we know we need to do more and we need to eat more in order to build muscle. So instead of trying to diet, we want to eat more and do more is the idea here. So uh, we're going to go through all these. And we're going to start with the, the first and most important one for anybody who wants to achieve a savage athlete body. And that's going to be uh, making sure you're, you're, the majority of your training should be basic compound lifts, right? You can alter variations throughout week to, the weeks um, and block to block. But for the most part, we need to accomplish progressive overload in some kind of heavy squat, some kind of heavy deadlift, some kind of heavy bench, and some kind of heavy overhead press. And I would add some kind of heavy pull down or row. If you have shoulder issues um, or you don't have the most strength in pulling movements, then I probably wouldn't go with a weighted chin-up. But if you have experience, you, you are pretty strong and you can do weighted chin-ups, that would be my fifth compound that I would add in there. But what we're doing here is, is we're sticking with these movements quite frequently, every week for solid blocks of time. For some people, it's literally bench squat, deadlift, overhead press, and I usually superset overhead press and a weighted chin-up together, and I would superset a barbell bench press and a bent row, T-bar row, seated cable row, some kind of heavy horizontal row as well. Um, setting up your programming in supersets is helpful for the conditioning aspect, which we'll touch on in a sec, but uh, for the most part, I'm just trying to hit these basic movement patterns, right? Push, pull, hip, knee, um, and then something for your core, which we'll we'll dive into later. But um, and that's part of the the accessory work at the end. But but the majority of your programming should be these compound lifts, and you should be progressing over time throughout multiple rep ranges. So ideally, I like people staying in the three to seven rep range when they're trying to train like an athlete for these absolute strength. We know that if you hit three reps, you're going to be in that 85 to 95 percent of one rep max target. That's going to be pure max effort, absolute strength. Um, you're going to get just as much benefit out of that as one rep max. The only benefit from a one rep max compared to hitting a three rep max or three rep sub max is going to be if you are a competitive power lifter because you have to have the skill from a mental, physical, and physiological perspective. You have to have the skill in order to hit a one rep max. You have to be trained that, right? It's a, it's a skill. So if you were competing, then of course, this would probably mean you're going in like the one, three, and five rep range instead of the three, five, and seven. But for a lot of my athlete-based training um, that I'm doing on average people, so when I say athlete-based training, I'm talking about the everyday person who wants to look and feel amazing. We're going to train them like an athlete, but we're going to do it in an intelligent manner. I'm not going to go below three reps because injury uh, risk goes up significantly. And if they're injured, guess what? They're very far from being athletic. Right, So I like to stay in the 7, 5, and 3 rep range, and I like to linearly progress it that way. So week 1, we start with 7. Week 2, we might go to 5. Week 3, we'll go to 3. Uh, and then week 4, we switch it up. And, and when we switch it up, we do one of two things. Either A, we go right back to 7, and we just go through the cycle, or B, we go back to 7, and we switch the barbell variation. If you were in your first five years of training, I probably would stick with the, the same compound lifts for at least – six, if not nine to 12 weeks. And that means uh, your program changes every three weeks, which is what I tend to do because I think four weeks is a good 
good one, two, three to four weeks is usually the balance of when you should change your programming because that gives you enough time to progressively overload. But I know a lot of people by week three, they're usually ready for some new stimulus. Um, and that's kind of the sweet spot of like, hey, we need this third week to, to max out the progressive overload we can get. Uh, and if we don't, we're, we're leaving gains on the table, but we can, we can switch it up next week instead of carrying on so that you don't get bored. But if you're somewhat new to training, which I would classify as five years or less of training experience, I probably would stick with the same exact compounds for nine to 12 weeks, at least six. And that's where you're going to go. Every three weeks, you might change some of the accessory work. Um, You're changing these rep ranges week to week. So you're cycling through this linear periodization. But you are changing from a barbell bench press to a barbell incline press to a barbell floor press to a barbell neutral bar press. Um, and you're going through these barbell with chains, like you change things up um, because when you're an advanced individual, so you're beyond five years and you have a lot of training experience, you are going to notice that you will see less PRs in the gym, right? You're, you're closer and closer to your, your genetic ceiling from a muscle and strength perspective as you train longer. And therefore, I think variation becomes more uh, needed. It, it becomes more of a priority, right? But you can't vary things too often because then you don't have the chance to, to progressively overload because remember the biggest part of strength gains comes from the neurological aspect of doing it neurologically speaking it's a skill so if i do one week of neutral bar bench press and then the next week i'm on to the next thing i don't have enough skill in that movement to progress it adequately now if you've been training for 10 years or more then I think you can go with more of a conjugate style approach, like a true conjugate. I use a lot of conjugate-based training, but um, true conjugate is you're changing the max lift every single week and you go to a one rep. Um, so even if you don't go to a one rep, you go to a three rep. Um, I could get away with this because I've done a neutral bar bench press a million times. I've done a bench press with chains a million times. I've done a regular bar, floor press, incline press, overhead press. I've done all these movements so many times that I already have acquired the skill. So it, it becomes, as you get more advanced, I think variation is actually more acceptable because you already have that skill. The doing the lifts is second nature. You don't have to acquire that skill and it takes longer to acquire that skill than people realize. So um, but this whole main point is that the majority of your training should be big, basic compound lifts. Uh, you can alter variations throughout the blocks. Um, it, the more advanced you get, the more variation you can have. But we should be doing five to six compound lifts that we are tracking progressive overload in the seven, five, and three rep range. You can also do the eight, six, and four rep range. You can do the five, three, one rep range. Um, and I do like separating those those rep ranges by two reps because as you get stronger and as you get more advanced, we know that if I go from seven to six, it's really hard for me to add much weight, right? And then I go from six to five and I can add a little bit. Also, that means I have to double the amount of time I'm doing that lift without a change in variation. So the block extends, right? Because if I'm starting at seven and I'm going by uh, dropping one rep per week, then by the time I get to three reps like I want to, it's going to be six weeks, right? But I want to change the block every three weeks to keep stimulus and novelty high and and boredom very low. Um, And that means that we have to skip by twos. And it leaves more room for progressive overload. So we're going from seven, five, three or eight, eight, six, four. Very rarely will I go six, four, two. Um, I don't like going below three rep range for average people because there's just no point in maxing out, really. Um, Staying in that rep range keeps you healthy. It keeps you strong. We're working on absolute strength. And this is going to work on many things. But for the most part, we're simply building strength. And the movements we're doing are recruiting a ton of different muscle groups to accomplish them. When you do a squat, it's not just 
quads. When you do a deadlift, it's not just hamstrings or glutes. When you do a bench press, it's not just chest. When you do a row, bent over row, weighted chin up, overhead press, all these things, they're full body movements. And if you look at any athlete, that's what they are doing. If you look at the most jacked Olympic lifters, what do they do? They do Olympic lifts and they do heavy compound lifts, right? Yes, everybody needs accessory work, but we're going to get to that in a minute. The, the biggest point here for, for the starting of this athletic program is going to be making sure that you are focusing on the big basic compound lifts and you are altering the variations every three to six weeks depending on your experience and you are progressing in a linear fashion so you know you're getting stronger and you're skipping weeks by two, not going below three reps. The second thing on our list, number two, is, is you need explosive work. Uh, so going back to that Olympic lifter, or if you look at the uh, pro football player who's doing power cleans and sprints, if you look at the uh, CrossFit athlete who's doing snatches and jumps and explosive work, if you look at any athlete in any sport, what are they doing? They are being explosive when they can. And what this does is it develops more fast twitch muscle fibers. This is why a marathon runner looks different than a sprinter, and I think that's an oversimplification of the science behind muscle fibers, and me and uh, Brandon Roberts, uh, our CSO, and I have talked about this on podcasts. In fact, I think we discussed this in this week's podcast as you're listening to this. The next research roundup that comes out, um, we dive into this a little bit, and it's, and it's very hard because you can't oversimplify this. However, the more you do explosive work, the more fast twitch muscle fibers you have. And the, the more you do slow, long endurance-based stuff, the more slow twitch fibers you have. And your body will adapt to that. Um, now, you can still get big without having fast twitch muscle fibers. That's, that's what bodybuilders do. But to get that dense, lean, athletic look and be actually fucking strong with the muscle you have, you need to work type 1 muscle fibers, uh, type, sorry, type two fast twitch muscle fibers. That's the only way to do it. So, uh, you, you need this explosive work because it develops that. Now those big compound lifts, when you're getting below that five rep range, they do require the fast twitch as well. So we're still working those there, but before we get into the big ba basic compound, now this doesn't mean that this explosive work is more important because I, I did the basic compound list for the reason those are the most important. But what this means is that the explosive work comes before the compound lifts in that given session. And what this does is it develops more fast twitch muscle fibers and it recruits more motor units, which is going to allow you to build more muscle in the training that follows. So if we do uh, one to three reps of a dumbbell snatch, super explosive with a heavy weight, we are recruiting more motor units. And then when we go to do that bench press or that overhead press or that squat or whatever we're doing, we're more likely to take those motor units to execute on the lift at a stronger level, which is going to build more of those type two muscle fibers. Right, so, so when we want to recruit and develop more muscle fibers and we want to recruit more motor units to execute that better, but add to that, the explosive work is going to push your neurological adaptations in a favorable way. And what that means is, number one, if you do this explosive work before the compounds, you are priming your nervous system. So you are literally amping up your nervous system. If we look at caffeine, what is caffeine? Caffeine is a central nervous system stimulant. So it literally stimulates your nervous system to perform at a higher level. We have studies that show this. Well, doing a box jump, doing a 20-yard sprint, doing a med ball throw, doing a dumbbell snatch, doing anything explosive, a chest throw, those explosive movements will develop your nervous system 
faster and better. And if we develop our nervous system in the right way before we get into the compound lift, so if I do an explosive chest throw, that's a horizontal press and an explosive movement. Now I'm recruiting motor units and a neurological adaptation to that explosive horizontal movement. And then I go right into a heavy bench. Well, guess what happens? My nervous system is primed to execute that heavy horizontal press, the bench press, better than it was without doing that explosive work. Right, so this is really important. Now, it also goes back to what I was saying earlier with longevity in your life. So if you are doing explosive work and you're constantly uh, stimulating your nervous system, um, granted, you can't do this too much because if you're stimulating your nervous system too frequently, you'll constantly be in that sympathetic state, and then that requires uh, more recovery, but you're not getting it because it's hard to get out of that sympathetic state and get into a parasympathetic. But my point being is if you're working it properly over the years, uh, your nervous system is going to improve your reaction time, which again is going to save you in the case of a car accident or if you're falling and you would break your hip um, or if the, if the barbell drops or something like that or a dumbbell drops out of your hand, you're able to move your foot faster, right? Anything like that. Um, Shit, I think about, and this applies to life so much, and this is why I'm so glad that I train like this. I remember when my daughter was, I mean, shit, she had to have been 12 weeks old, like really, really young, right? And she was on the uh, the table at the doctor, right? Just the general physician doctor. They were doing like her, uh, maybe she was 24 weeks. It was like six-month checkup or something like that, right? And she's laying on the table, and, and the two doctors are there with her, and they have her. And, uh, and my, me and my wife are sitting on the bench right next to the bed and just kind of waiting. And um, both of the nurses are there. So we feel safe, right? And one nurse turns around to grab something. And the other nurse is still there with my daughter, right? You can't just leave a baby on the table that is as, that's like you're at your shoulder height, right? Chest height, stomach height, however high it is. But way too high for a baby to be left alone. And then the second nurse turns around to help and leaves my daughter there wide open. And what does my daughter do? She rolls over. And she literally starts falling off the bed. And I leaped across the room, off the table, and caught her right at the edge of the bed. You know what I absolutely hate? Prepping my own meals. I hate sitting there and cooking meal after meal, putting them in containers, saving them myself, doing all the work, and they never turn out good because I suck at cooking. But that's why I started using Eat to Evolve. In fact, you can head over to eat2evolve.us and enter the promo code BOOM20 to save 20% on your first order. They give you free shipping if you order over $100, which is pretty damn easy to do if you're setting up most of your meals. And it's never frozen, so it's actually fresh. This is not some microwavable mush you're going to get from any other company. This is a gourmet meal, and if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen some of those meals on my story. My favorite being the maple shredded pork with sweet potato hash. But the reason I wanted to bring this to your attention is because this is our newest podcast podcast sponsor and I couldn't be more excited because it's actually good meals done for me. They have the macros on the container and they're going to work for our clients as well. So if you are in need of a meal prep service, you're tired of prepping your own meals or you just suck at cooking and you're too lazy to do it yourself or learn, this is the perfect place to go. Again, eat2evolve.us. There's a link in the description of this podcast and you can enter the promo code BOOM20 to save 20% on your first order. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. And then the nurses were like, oh, shit. And I, like, p- picked her up and just stared at him like, what are you doing? I was, I was furious, but I kept myself calm. But it was the scariest moment. But I wasn't even – I wasn't ready. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't waiting for her to fall. I didn't think she was going to fall, anything. But my reaction time immediately jumped to that. 
And that's why this training is so important. Life events like catching your daughter off a table when she's six months old, you will have a faster reaction time if you train your nervous system properly. And I know that sounds like an extreme case, but it's a true story. It happened. And I can almost guarantee if I didn't train this way and if I didn't train explosively over the last 10 years, I might not have been as quick and explosive and responsive to catching my daughter. So point being, number one, you have to have the big basic compound lifts and you have to be working absolute strength. Point number two, you need explosive work because this is going to help you develop fast twitch muscle fibers. It's going to recruit more motor units for better strength training when you get to those big basic compound lifts. And it's going to Posit it's going to push positive neurological adaptations for you to have better reaction time and perform better when you're in the gym. Okay, number three is conditioning. Conditioning should be done two to three times a week, in my opinion, for, for most athletes. Um, and this is simply to ensure that we have a, a good aerobic base um, and we keep the different energy systems working and we stay lean that way. So the first point, good aerobic base. If we don't have a good aerobic base, aerobic capacity, we will struggle to see positive results. Typically, what you see uh, when we improve the aerobic base is that their work capacity increases. So what that means is like, if I'm doing a, let's say I'm doing an upper body day and I have 20 total sets, and that's not just for my chest, but that's like chest, shoulders, back, everything, right? Uh, biceps, triceps, shoulder. Like I, I literally have my whole entire upper body and I have 20 total sets to do. And it takes me an hour and a half. Well, if I work my aerobic base over the next six months, I might be able to do that same workout in about an hour with the same amount of volume. So what does that mean? Well, it means that my fatigue is improving and my work capacity is improving. My ability to perform more volume in a shorter amount of time improves. So yes, not only will my energy systems develop and my aerobic base gets better and, and uh, I'm able to have a higher work capacity, but that higher work capacity actually allows me to do more volume to build more muscle because now in that hour and a half time that I have in the gym, I can get more work done. And my body's aerobic base is improving, and when that improves, my recoverability increases as well. So not only do I have more time to finish that volume because I've created a better aerobic base and I have a better work capacity, but also I can recover from the work I'm doing more effectively and efficiently, and that allows me to recover from that extra volume, which is going to lead to growth because we know – there's the stress that you place on your body, which is the actual training, then you have to recover in order to see adaptation. So if we have an improved recovery response, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have an improved adaptation response, which is building muscle and strength. So number one, building an aerobic base um, is super important. It, it's also really important for your immune system. So one of the best immune builders is actually aerobic conditioning. So yes, strength training helps as well. And you still work the aerobic and oxidative system while you're strength training most of the time. Um, it's not the dominant energy system for strength training. I would say anaerobic, uh, ATP, glycolytic, those systems are the primary energy systems used inside of uh, strength training. But the aerobic training, the aerobic base building and, and really building that aerobic capacity, that actually improves your immune system and function tremendously. So if we talk about preventing COVID or being able to survive COVID or just avoiding getting sick at all, aerobic training is really important. This is why a lot of people you'll see are walking and running more now that COVID is like a pandemic. And, and one, they're stuck, so they're like, let's get outside. But number two, that immune function is going to be improved if you work some aerobic training. Um, now, we also want to work the different energy systems. So the energy systems are 
uh, a group of metabolic processes in our body that uh, essentially allow us to do what we do. They allow us to uh, perform in different ways. It allows our abilities of performance to increase in different ways, and it allows us to utilize substrates from food better. So if we talk about nutrient absorption and, and uh, the tr energy transfer from, from food to sport or performance or even from oxygen, right, to performance, right, in, in the process of ATP. So if, if there's any science geeks in here, we know that the process of generating ATP in the body, in, 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 uh, that's really, really important, creatine phosphate, all these different systems. If we can't adequately do that in our body, we are not going to continue to see performance. We're not going to improve because those are the systems that allow us to train hard. Those are the systems that allow us to keep pushing after eight reps. That those are the ones that allow us to keep going after a seven-second sprint, right? So, um, and add to that, if we, if we look at somebody doing a max effort run, the first seven to 10 seconds are gonna be mainly anaerobic. Then it's going to be highly glycolytic, up to 60 seconds, and then it's gonna be pretty damn aerobic after that. So the only way for you to go through all these stages is to develop all the energy systems. And if we're not training conditioning in different modalities, we're probably not going to be able to accomplish that. The main type of conditioning you should be doing is aerobic conditioning because you're going to get a lot of that ATP, phosphate, uh, glycolytic, anaerobic systems. You're going to get a lot of that with the big basic compound strength lifting and the explosive work. Um, but you're, you're not going to get much of the aerobic and the oxidative work from, from that. So you need to work the, the system that relies on oxygen more because that's what's going to improve recovery. It's going to improve everything we just discussed. But um, on top of that, this is how we stay lean. We know that a good conditioning system, a good cardio session, it does burn more calories than strength training. It does in the temporary. Now, long term... I would argue that strength training will burn more calories because it's going to improve uh, semi-related systems and processes and even just build more muscle tissue. It's going to do things that cause you to burn more calories in the long run day to day over time. But if we look at just one upper body training session versus one aerobic session, maybe you do 10 minutes on the rower, take a five-minute break, 10 minutes on running, five-minute break, and then 10 minutes on the assault bike, five-minute break. That's a 30-minute aerobic session with 15 minutes of break. So you got 45 minutes total in the gym. That's going to burn more calories than, than strength training for an hour and a half. I, I can almost guarantee it. But strength training is going to burn more calories long-term, um, more simply because it has more benefits across the board, and those benefits across the board are going to outweigh the temporary caloric expenditure you see in an aerobic session. However, if we're talking about staying lean, we, we need to do that conditioning work. If we look at any serious athlete, they do conditioning work, really. Like CrossFit, I think there's no, there's no doubt about that. If you look at elite-level crossers, they do a ton of conditioning work. If you look at football players, a ton of conditioning work, soccer, football, basketball, UFC, everything. They all do a ton of conditioning work. WWE wrestlers who are jacked, they do a ton of conditioning work. I know because I work with a handful of them. And all of them do at least one, if not two, aerobic sessions a week. Most of them do two. I only have one or two that do one. It's because they're, they're, they're jacked. And they, they really just – they need to put on more muscle. That's the main goal with them versus getting lean. But that conditioning work is going to help you stay lean. So conditioning work needs to be done two to three times a week, um, at least once a week, but ideally two to three times a week uh, just to maintain a good aerobic base, which is going to fuel better recovery. It's going to improve your work capacity so you can get more volume in to build more muscle. Uh, and it's going to keep all your energy systems working so you're more efficient over different intensities, ranges, 
and it allows you to stay a bit leaner. Number four, we have mobility and soft tissue work. Uh, and this one's going to be pretty quick because I'm not a mobility guru. Um, however, I did just film a full mobility warm-up video for Instagram. So be on the lookout for that if it's not out yet. Um, but I really dove into explaining a general warm-up, um, which is something I use for to prevent low back pain because I've had plenty of low back issues over the years. Uh, but mobility and soft tissue work should be done daily. Um, otherwise, training loads will just really wear and tear at your joints and tendons, uh, and you won't move as well, and you won't have as much flexibility. So if we look at uh, athletes uh, in any sport, cross anything, again, they're most likely maybe not doing yoga, but they're most likely doing some kind of dynamic warm-up. So before they practice, before they train, before they compete, they go through mobility and dynamic stretching head-to-toe. Um, and it's dynamic, not static, because static stretching is holding an isolated whole stretch for a long period of time, and that's going to limit performance during that training session. If you want to do it after your training, if you want to do it uh, in the morning, that's totally fine. Away from your training is, is beneficial. It's going to potentially improve range of motion, which is going to improve training later on. But if you do it right before, it does limit. So the best way to approach this is, in my opinion, if I had any way to do this with any client, they were like, I want to be like this savage athlete. In the mornings, I would be going through a dynamic stretching routine, potentially some mobility, mixing the two. Uh, before my workout, I would be going through mobility, very minimal dynamic stretching, but just hitting the, the, the main point. So I would go through mobility of my ankles, my hips, my thoracic spine, both rotation and extension. And I'd probably do some shoulder overhead work. Um, and then I would do soft tissue work on my adductors. I would do soft tissue work on my glutes and hamstrings and quads, hip flexors, probably my chest, my pec, and then my lats if I'm doing an upper body. Um, and then last but not least, I would do some dynamic stretching, which would probably be like a walking lunge with hip flexor stretch and maybe like a, like a, like a hamstring curl to stretch, which you can do in like a half kneeling position. You can uh, like basically just body weight flex your knee back towards your butt and, and fire your hamstring as hard as you can doing like a leg curl and then go into a straight leg stretch, pushing your hips back. Um, but very, like it's dynamic again. So you're not holding any stretch for longer than a couple seconds. You're moving in and out of these stretches dynamically. Um, and then after my training, I'm going to do some more tissue work on the same exact places. I'm going to stretch again, but I'm going to do static stretching for any joint or muscle that has issues. So if you have low back pain, you're probably going to be want to focus on your hamstrings, glutes, and hip flexors. If you have shoulder issues, you're going to want to focus on your pecs and your lats. Uh, but you're going to target these muscle groups that are the main movement patterns that you're hitting for that day or that you've had trouble with in the past. Um, and then last but definitely not least, you're going to do some nasal diaphragmatic breathing. Um, ideally resisted once you get good at it. So laying flat on your back, knees bent, or you can put your, your feet up on a bench to have that 90-90 position. Um, low back needs to be flat against the floor, and you're doing diaphragmatic breathing. So we want to think 360 with this. So we're, we're expanding our stomach, our lower abdomens, our uh, obliques, all the way up into our back and our lats, like really a 360, a, th a three-dimensional uh, expansion of our diaphragm. And we're going to do this through our nose, um, I prefer nose in, free out. So if you can do it, the nasal out, that's fine. If you if you want to do it out of your mouth on the way out, that's fine too. Nasal breathing tends to be a little bit more beneficial. But I'm going to try and expand this, this breath sequence. So six to seven seconds on the way in, 
one to three seconds hold, six to seven seconds on the way out, one to three second hold, and you're going back and forth, all keeping it in your, your abdominal region from a 360 dimension. Um, so if you do this, what, what's happening? I'm, I'm shifting into parasympathetic after uh, training. I've relieved tissue work that would have been beat up during the training, and I've stretched any, uh, any muscle groups that need more flexibility and range of motion because they're tight and it's causing me pain in other areas. Before the session, I am working on mobility and some dynamic movements with some tissue work. The tissue work's gonna allow more range of motion. If you just do some quick foam rolling, not too aggressive, it's gonna allow more range of motion. There's gonna be a neurological adaptation to that before training, it's gonna help. Uh, this, the dynamic stretching is gonna take those muscles through a full range of motion, but in a dynamic effort, that's not gonna lower your performance in the gym. And then the mobility is gonna get your joints prepared for the movements ahead, right? And in the morning, we're just doubling down on the things we need to do. So if you need more work on mobility, do it if you need more work on range of motion, do some stretching. If you need uh, to, to calm down and be more in a parasympathetic state, do some breathing, right? So I think breathing is one of those ones that you could do three times a day if you want to, and it would be beneficial no matter who you are. But my point being is something in the morning, something before, something after the training. An athlete takes his training, his or her training, very, very seriously, and he prepares, she prepares her body, his body for what they are about to do. And what they're about to do is, is not easy. It's difficult. And it's, it's beaten on their body. So they need to prepare for it physically. Next, we need to add a little bit of bodybuilding accessory work in order to simply build muscle, right? Um, and the main areas we're going to be doing this in are going to be um, the arms, the delts, and the abs. Um, you're, if you're doing things right, you're going to work your upper back a ton because you're doing heavy carries, you're doing cleans, you're doing front squats, you're doing deadlifts. So you're doing chin-ups, you're doing bench press, you're doing overhead press. So your, your chest, your triceps, your shoulders, uh, not really shoulders, your upper back, maybe rear delts a little bit, lats, hamstrings, quads, glutes, those are all going to be stacked. Like you don't have to worry too much about that, but you're not isolating your arms. You're not isolating your, your medial delts. Um, and you're, you're not isolating your abs. You're doing uh, functional movements that require core strength, which I think are just as valuable. But if we want to take this to the next level without harming our nervous system and recovery ability, then we just need to add a little bit of bodybuilding accessory work. So if we add in a little bit of curls, uh, you know, two times a week, if we add a little bit of lateral raise variations two times a week, um, and then some kind of ab variation two times a week, we've just picked up our lagging body parts and are able to create a more complete physique. But what, what we're doing is very low fatigue. So the stimulus to fatigue ratio is great. There's a high stimulus when you do curls or when you do lateral raises or you do sit-ups, but the fatigue is very low. So high stimulus, low fatigue is a perfect thing to add in on top of all the stuff we're doing because what we're doing is big compound lifts and explosive movements, conditioning. It's, it's work. It takes recovery, and that's another reason why we're doing that aerobic conditioning. But those, those things will wear on our body. So it's important that we do bodybuilding accessory work that is very, very low fatigue. If you want to do, for example, if, you, if you're like, well, I need to build more glutes, I would, I would have somebody in this position do more uh, hip abductions than I would hip thrusts because hip thrusts start to load pretty heavy. So we're not only loading our hips, but we're also loading our nervous system, right, within high intensity uh, and high intensity exercise. Whereas if we're doing seated band hip abductions, we're working our glutes, we're getting a crazy burn and pump, metabolites, lactic acid is accumulating, but the, fa the fatigue temporarily is high because we, we do get that burn, but the fatigue long-term and neurologically speaking is very low. So 
last thing inside of training is simply adding some kind of bodybuilding accessory work. And this is usually going to be abs, uh, arms, and uh, rear uh, medial delts. So lateral raises, basically. Basically adding lateral raises, curl variations, and, uh, and abs. Um, if you're a female and you're like, I could care less about my, my biceps, then I would say like you just do more shoulder work or you can you, that's where you can add the seated hip abductions, right? So you, 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 the men and the women can do the same thing in this whole podcast. But at the very end with the bodybuilding accessory work, the guy might be doing uh, medial delts, biceps, and abs. The, the female might be doing glutes, medial delts, and abs. The last thing that we have to consider when looking, feeling, and performing like an athlete is the diet. How should your diet be? And I can tell you right now that there is no one right approach. We know this. I've said this a million times. There is a million ways to skin a cat. Uh, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. Everybody's an individual. That's why our company is called Tailored Coaching Method. Our goal is to tailor the process to you as an individual. But what we have to remember is that athletes typically – do not skip out on protein or carbs. <laughs> so I am going to hate on the low-carb movement with this one. Um, it doesn't mean that a low-carb diet isn't applicable because there's many cases where I provide a low-carb diet to somebody who is chasing weight loss, who is chasing longevity, who, who needs to work on health markers, who has pre-existing issues with some of the carbohydrates they're eating, whatever it may be. But if we look at elite athletes who train fucking hard, who can build muscle, who are strong and explosive – what do they do? They eat carbs. They eat protein every meal. They eat a higher carb diet, usually easily digestible high carbs. So we're talking white rice and sweet potatoes for the most part, maybe some oats. Um, and that's what's fueling their performance. We know that carbs are the primary fuel source. We know that insulin, although it's demonized by many people and, and called the obesity, uh, the obesity thing, like that's what causes obesity. It's not true. Insulin also promotes muscle growth. Insulin also promotes better energy levels. So like it also promotes a lower cortisol level. So insulin's not the enemy. If I have somebody who's trying to look and feel and perform like an athlete, I am 100% going to go with a high carb, high protein, low fat diet. Their, their fats are going to be between 0.3 and 0.4. If they're really light female, I might raise that up to 0.5 grams per pound. Their protein is going to be anywhere between 1 to 1.5 grams per pound. Um, the heavier they are, the closer to that 1. Again, if, a, if I have a light female, I might go closer to that 1.5. Usually I don't. Um, the most common range for me is 1 to 1.2 grams per pound. And then the carbs are going to fill the rest of the diet. And, and we're going to start at maintenance. So if I have somebody who wants to look and feel like an athlete, again, I'm going to promote eat more, do more. So I'm not going to put them in a deficit to get lean. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start them at maintenance with a low-fat, high-carb, high-protein diet. Right there, we're in a more productive maintenance uh, diet because, one, it's more promoting to better recovery and better uh, satiation, so you're not getting hungry or having cravings, and last but not least, better performance because we know carbs facilitate energy output in the gym and protein facilitates recovery from what we do in the gym. So fats just simply serve as something to help our nervous system and our general hormonal health be productive. Like there's obviously more benefits to fat, but for the most part, those are the things we're most concerned with. And we don't need a ton of fat in order to accomplish that, especially if we're eating at or above maintenance. Because if we're eating in a deficit, 
it becomes more important to not lower fats too much because you're in a deficit and the deficit is a stressor. But at maintenance, you're not in a stressor. And what this does, it allows to fuel performance. So what I would prefer to do with a client in this situation is start them at maintenance with a high carb, high protein, low fat diet, and then slowly start increasing their carbs as I see progressive overload increasing, as I see their work capacity develop so we can do more per training session and they're getting more work done. And this is typically what we see in hyper responders to reverse dieting. And I actually see more hyper responders to reverse dieting that do CrossFit. And it's because CrossFit is, is very much so a work capacity sport, right? We have a 20-minute timer today. You have these three exercises. How many rounds can you get, right? The, the more work capacity development we do, the more rounds we can get in that 20-minute period. So when I have a client doing a lot of that and I'm increasing calories and their work capacity keeps going up, guess what? They're doing more work with the food that they're taking in as we put more food into the diet. So it kind of works itself out. Uh, but my point with this is, is we're not striving for a diet. We're striving for maintenance and then a slow reverse as in intensity, volume, and work capacity increases with the, the, the training. Um, and we're using that, right? So, But again, if we look at all the – even bodybuilders, <laughs> it's very rare to find a low-carb keto bodybuilder. It's very rare to find a low-carb keto athlete. I remember even uh, uh, LeBron James went paleo, which kind of forced him to go low carb in a sense. And, and he got skinny and he stopped it and he, and he got off it because it, it doesn't make sense for an athlete, right? An athlete needs energy and energy is carbohydrates. Um, can fat become fuel? Yeah, you can generate ketones and that can develop a fuel source. However, it's not as productive. And they have studies to show this. They have studies going with keto and a, and a regular carb diet with CrossFitters. They have it with uh, endurance athletes. They have it with a lot of people. And it never outperforms. It very rarely outperforms. And if it outperforms in anyone, it's going to be a ultra-distance uh, endurance running. Ultra-endurance running, which is going to be you know, you're running for hours on end. So yeah, if you can generate ketones, then you have a sustainable fuel source and you don't need to produce ATP, glycogen, all those things to be explosive because you got to pace yourself. Um, but most people who want to look like athlete don't do that because endurance sports aren't going to make you look like an athlete. Um, you can combine endurance sports and some of the stuff I'm talking with and still look like an athlete. And there's a lot of people who do this hybrid model I know of that do powerlifting competitions and marathons and they're jacked. So you can do it. But you can't just do endurance training and expect to look like the athletes look. So um, to encompass everything we talked about today, the majority of your training should be compound lifts in the three to seven rep range with a progressive overload scheme. Uh, you need to be doing some kind of explosive work to develop fast twitch muscle fibers, recruit more motor units for the rest of your training, and improve neurological adaptations. You should be conditioning two to three times a week to ensure your aerobic base and your aerobic capacity is increasing over time. Your recovery improves because of it. You're training the different energy systems so you can work in different intensity zones, and it helps you stay lean. Mobility and soft tissue work should be done daily, if not two to three times per day, in order to make sure your joints and tendons can handle the training that you are doing. You don't get injured. Uh, you need to be doing a little bit of bodybuilding uh, just to make sure that you're bringing up the parts that are going to be missed, which is mainly going to be arms, medial delts, and abs. But for ladies, if you want to add a little bit of glutes, that's fine too. And then last but not least, you should be following a diet like an athlete, which is going to be 80 to 90% whole foods. They don't eat junk. They rarely eat out of boxes. They're eating real foods. They're eating meats. They're eating rice. They're eating vegetables. They're eating produce and fruits and salmon and all these kind of things. High, high quality dairy, very minimal supplementation. They eat real food. 
and they follow a high-carb, high-protein, moderately low-fat diet. And that's how you perform at your highest and you approach it from an eat more, do more aspect. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. If you want to train like an athlete, just remember we have the Taylor Trainer, which is a membership that costs less than $2 a day. You can get access to all my programs, much of which follow this athletic aesthetics or performance bodybuilding approach that can help you do this, and it's delivered to you through an app, so it's like you got me in your pocket every single day at the gym. So if you want to get access to that, click the link in the description. Otherwise, I will catch you next time. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.